I'm Damian Johnson. I'm AJ Atkinson. I'm Fairbanks Ray Jr. And welcome to the DPT Expedition. We are current physical therapy students in Boston. Discussing our real life experiences and perspectives in a real, unedited fashion. Welcome back to the latest episode of the DPT Expedition. This is your boy, Damien, and I'm joined by my fellow co-hosts, Faramang and AJ. How y'all doing today? Pretty good, man. Can't complain. How are you? What's up, Dam? How you feeling? Good, good, man. Just taking it one day at a time. Today, we have an amazing guest today to address the topic that you, the viewers, voted for, and that is salary negotiations as a new grad physical therapist. And uh, without further ado, welcome to the podcast, CJ. Thank you for having me. It's exciting to be here. No, thank you for joining us. And for all the people who don't know you, uh, why don't you give like a little synopsis of who you are and what you're doing? All right. Um, so I'm a doctor of physical therapy. With, uh, went to school in Boston, grew up in Montreal. I uh, just moved to Chicago actually last year, exactly a year ago. So I miss my Boston PT fan. It seems like the physical therapy world's really small. So hi, everybody. Um, so I opened up my own clinic in Chicago on the south side. Uh, it's called Valona Health. And it's upfront an orthopedic clinic. But because my heart still lives in the neuroscience world, we tend to combine quite a bit of neuro and ortho in the same place. And I've given, I suppose I should also say, I've given the uh, interview Pearl's talk twice now, and I'm excited to continue talking about it. Yeah, I remember when I was first introduced to you during that lecture, I was like, wow, like, I'll, like every, every sentence that was coming out of your mouth, it was like just bombs of knowledge. I was like, wow, this is, this is crazy. And, uh, and when people voted for this topic, I was like, I got to get CJ on this. So I'm so glad that you're here. And uh, let's get into it, right? So the first questions, the, f the first question I got for you is, um, should we as new grads, should we focus on a bottom line, which is salary itself? Or is there any other part of the package that we should negotiate? Oh, straight out of the gate with a good question. <laughs> um, That's a great place to start. So it's funny when we get into the workforce and I've gone through school, we have all this debt racked up. The first thought is, okay, I'm going into negotiations. What am I making? Um, and I think you highlighted, and we haven't talked about this before, so I'm amazed that you brought this up as a first question, because I think that the quality of life and the environment in which you are joining your first clinic, hospital, whatever setting you've decided to join, I would say the environment that you are joining, cultural, the culture of the clinic, the productivity metrics, you know, what your working hours are going to be, you know, like work-life balance would be more important in my view um, than the salary itself. And I have to totally agree with you, which is why, you know, I chose, that's part of the reason why I chose physical therapy um, as a profession, because it has an amazing work-life balance that's very rewarding and not a lot of professions have that. So um, thank you for sharing that. Um, I'll pass it to you, uh, AJ. So our next question for you, CJ, um, is there any experience um, we can get prior to graduating physical therapy school that can maybe help us leverage our salary negotiation when we leave? So I'd say it depends on what type of clinic that you're applying to. Um, I've obviously have more, well not obviously, but I have most experience in the orthopedic world. Um, I did some clinical rotations in inpatient, um, but for the most part, I'd say in the orthopedic world, it seems to be most diverse, diverse in the sense of if, you know, you have Pilates background or if you have, for, for example, I have a yoga teacher certification. 
So when I applied, when I was applying to jobs, they would actually bring that up as an asset, not something that I necessarily thought of because I was like, okay, I mean, if I want to teach yoga on weekends, but if you're applying to an orthopedic clinic that is either specializing in a specific type of exercise, like if, you know, you have TPI certification, which is like that golf thing, I don't, I forget what it stands for. Um, or if you have the, if you have yoga or Pilates, if you have extensive experience in a specific sport, like if you enjoyed playing a sport, I don't think you need to necessarily have the credentials so much as showing up and saying like, I know everything there is to know about cycling and fitting people to their bikes. Um, so the salary negotiation negotiation portion of that question is a bit more challenging and I have to think about that a little bit more. Um, my instinct is, is to say that as a new grad, it's probably challenging, um, but there's nothing saying that you can't try. Um, so I know that with my second job out of BT school, they liked the fact that I taught yoga and they wanted me to put it on my business card. So they had, it was Fitzgerald Physical Therapy. And then on the other end, other side of it, it would say, you know, what I like to do and what I specialize in. So when patients come in, they can say like, oh, I want to get back to doing yoga. Therefore, I, therefore I will go see a CJ. Um, so I think that can be helpful if you just highlight what you're interested in or if you have these like certifications. I appreciate that. Um, the clinic I used to work at, I was a tech um, before getting into school. We had um, certain therapists that, you know, were certified in dry kneeling and um, some therapists that were prior athletic trainers or um, specialized in like dance therapy. Um, so I, I thought it would be helpful, but I didn't know if there were certain things that, you know, certain places will look for, you know, when you apply. So I uh, appreciate that. That was helpful. All right, CJ, for this next question, I kind of like this one. I think you might like it too, but let's see how it goes. So I think in 2020, like we're seeing a lot more um, PTs move to social media and online, um, trying to market online with um, Instagram or Facebook ads, or just trying to get more people into the clinic. So you have students now that are getting good at the online game, online marketing game. Can students use that online marketing experience, whether it's building websites, um, creating ads, um, to negotiate a higher salary in the outpatient clinic, let's say? And um, do you just have like how to, tips on how to go about that if they wanted to leverage those skills? I don't think, I don't think upfront this looks like a loaded question, but it totally is. <laughs> I will say out of experience, I've worked at the two companies I worked at out of PT school before moving to Chicago. Um, the first one, I hated the fact that I was on social media. I mean, like just straight up somehow, I mean, I was just on there encouraging people to move. Like you can go back through all of my posts and it was literally just saying like, Hey, this is what I did for movement today. Hope you get to move too. literally like that was a message from each one. Um, they really like were threatened by it somehow. But when I got to my second one and I was at the interview, I think I got past the interview process and I was still a little bit sensitive about my experience from my first job because it was such a like hot button subject, which I didn't realize that it was. Um, they loved it. Just like straight up. They were like, what do you mean you have social media? Let's see it. Oh, that's cool. And okay. Yeah. What, whatever. Like this is your stuff. We should be promoting you. And they were really about, you know, each clinician growing and developing and they looked at me and straight in the face and they said, you know, if you stay in Boston and you end up putting up a shingle down the road, 
it doesn't change anything. If anything, like it strengthens our network because if you specialize in something then we can say like, okay, we're going to send you these people. You're going to send us these other people. Um, that's not what they said like specifically, but they liked the effect, the fact that I was on social media. So when they asked me to start, not ask me, but kind of propose the idea, I'm like throwing my earphones around, <laughs> to propose the idea of me teaching yoga on Saturdays, I already had this network built up where I could post it on my social media and cross post it to theirs because each clinician at that clinic was given a specific day where they had to post. And I think that's brilliant because then you end up with um, lots of different types of posts and it takes the load off of the company because they don't have to decide and try and figure out like, okay, what are we posting today? Because then you know, okay, CJ's got Monday, so-and-so's got Tuesday, they've got Wednesday, and then it's just done. Um, so one way to, I guess, identify who would be in each of those camps is go online and figure out how are they posting, what are they posting, um, and then try and follow if they're tagging their employees, I think would be also an indication. Um, so if the, you do end up going through negotiations, you're both interested in each other for the interview, pro like after the interview process, it might be worth talking about, you know, can I help you with these other things? And would that get me a bump in anything? Yeah, I love that. And like, if you, you can start small and if you start to show, hey, I'm bringing in one new person a month or two new people a month, that's this amount of dollars over the course of a treatment, then, hey, let's start talking about getting rid of our marketing agency and I can take it. But it also means that, hey, you might have to bump up my salary a bit because I have skills that are helping the business that are helping me and it's a it's a win-win relationship so i really appreciate that answer um dame i'll throw it to you i had a real quick question just to jump in um on top of that because social media is so large now just in your uh, personal opinion would you suggest people having two separate accounts or should they you know make their own account um kind of like pt slash real life because i know that that becomes an issue trying to remain professional but at the same time like show you're like a regular person um so is would you suggest people having like a work-based account separate from their personal one just in your opinion i've heard mixed reviews for this um i chose to have my personal account because i didn't know when where we were going to be moving to when i would be opening my own clinic or what it would even be called once we get there um so i kept mine as just you know dr cj mimi and that was my Instagram, or that is my Instagram. I don't use it as much anymore, but patients still like to see that you're a real person. So I went the route of have maintaining my personal one, but then creating a new company one um, for the reason. So the, the personal one, even though it's like personal professional, it still has, you know, my dog and what I did on the weekends. And I don't really drink, so I don't have to worry about like that stuff in terms of like showing stuff where you're like, oh, they probably don't want to see that. Um, I, I like the idea of having two separate ones, especially if you end up opening up your own practice someday. The, the marketing is for that practice. If you're selling yourself, you're going to have trouble onboarding other people because they're going to be like, no, I don't want to see somebody inside Valona Health. I want to see somebody at Mimi Physical Therapy that is Mimi. Like I want to see the Mimi as opposed to like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm onboarding really great therapists that can also help. Um, so I think my preference, and I'm biased obviously because that's what I ended up doing, um, but I've heard mixed reviews. I think you can do it both ways depending on what your long-term goals are. I appreciate yeah. that. Oh, go ahead, Name. sorry. <laughs> no, no, I, I was going to respond to your question. I was just going to say that I have two separate accounts myself because, um, you know, I, I actually do drink, so I, <laughs> I don't want anything going on that uh, other account. So 
but um also to to uh jump on what cj was saying you know i plan to use that professional account as a marketing tool when i do graduate and um you know eventually open like my own you know facility or something like that down the road so uh did you want to add anything aj or i was gonna say i appreciate the answer because i've always gone back and forth um on if I wanted to do that, because I'm still undecided if I want to, you know, open a clinic in the future or anything like that. Um, but I know just having like my own personal account, I really don't have too many things related to physical therapy on there, uh, except in my bio that I'm a student. So, um, yeah, I didn't know if it would be weird to just all of a sudden start transitioning my personal account to, you know, PT related things because it would just seem like such a switch. So that, it was actually very helpful that you said that. So. I just wanted to say I appreciated it. <laughs> CJ, uh, knowing what you know now, uh, what are some like tips of the trade that you could tell new grads when it comes to like interviewing and uh, doing salary negotiations? I wish I could share my screen with you. <laughs> I just want to like publish all of these questions. So there's the normal questions that people would ask, right? So what types of patient population do you serve? You know, is there any mentorship that's built in? Um, and making sure that if you wanted the mentorship and you're looking for that, there, there is some set structure and there's some evidence that that structure is upheld and kept. Um, so whether it's like weekly meetings with an older uh, clinician or, you know, every two weeks, you know, in one of my clinics with my second one, actually, I really liked Fitzgerald. I feel like I miss them. Um, they used to do rounds on patients. So it wasn't a one-on-one -on -one mentorship so much as, okay, every two weeks we meet as a whole clinic at lunchtime and we talk about patients. Um, so mentorship I know is a big topic among new grads. So that's why I bring that up and go through those details. Continuing education amount. So the credit and so getting money reimbursed for things that you're interested in studying and continuing and pursuing um, and what the structure is for that. I know some places will make you meet your productivity metrics before they give you any money. And then when they do, it's not at the full amount, it's you know chunks of money at a time. So if you're supposed to see 60 patients in a week and you only make it to 59, you get nothing. So just make sure that you know if that's something that's a priority to you. I know AJ is shaking his head. Oh, I have a story for you. Um, Ask, so the, one of the, some of the other questions that are normal that are asked are salaried versus hourly. Um, make sure that there's no ramp up period, by the way, or if there is, it's very reasonable. Um, I know that there's some clinics that will do a ramp up period, meaning that will pay you per patient until you make it to a full caseload. So that might be three months. That might be four months where you're getting paid per patient. And if they cancel, all of a sudden you're resenting that person because you're like, that's my grocery money. Um, how many PTs and PTAs there are per shift? <laughs> I'm laughing. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, how many PTs, PTAs there are per shift and how often you see your patient, right? So if you're a PT and you get hired in a place that's all PTAs, you have to know full well that the subtext of that, it means that you're going to be doing all the initial evaluations, all of the reevaluations, all of the discharges. So the documentation load on that is going to be miserable. And by the time you get to see that person 30 days later, you're like, I have no idea who you are. Like, who are you? Are you doing any better? What were your goals? Um, so just make sure that you're comfortable with the structure. I shouldn't place my bias on that, but I think we should be more involved. Um, what your start date is um, and whether that is contingent upon passing the NPTE. 
how many patients do you see per hour? There was one place I interviewed for in Boston, and they were really angry that I didn't end up taking it, which was kind of funny. They called and yelled at me. Um, <laughs> I've seen a lot. Um, I went to shadow. So one of the best things that I'd say or recommend is to ask to shadow after you've interviewed. Um, that place I sat for two hours, and at any given time during that two-hour window, there were five patients per PT. Yeah, I paused there intentionally because it takes a second. You're like, what'd she say? And yeah, it needs to register, and oh my goodness, that still exists. Um, and I guess with COVID, that might be changing. Uh, how many patients do you see per day on average? How long are the daily treats versus the evaluations? Um, my first clinical in PT school, I was given an hour to do the evaluations with the goal of eventually making it down to half an hour. Um, by the end of my first clinical in PT school, I will say I was proud to make it down to 35 minutes. Now that I have my own place, it goes for an hour and a half. So, <laughs> um, yeah, knowing how much time you need and want per patient to make sure that you're delivering the value that you want to be delivering. Um, also, the EMR software. So you've, if you already know the EMR software that they're working on, that might give you an idea of what your documentation load and the burden is going to be. Because if you know it takes that much longer to use this documentation versus the other one, or maybe you don't know the new documentation software and you're like, mm, let me see if I can shadow somebody, shadow somebody, um, and then peek over their shoulder and say like, okay, how does the documentation look like? What does this hope note look like? What is an initial evaluation? Because that can make a very big difference. Um, I have a whole other pile of questions to ask. <laughs> Is it okay? Keep going. Um, okay. No, keep going. This is all golden nuggets. <laughs> okay. Um, can you tell? I just, I, it's a, just to stop a split second. I think if we prepare the new grads, then it'll help our field in the long run. Because we're not just fighting salary, we're fighting like quality of life and, you know, how much time we get per patient. It's, this is like totally advocacy in a different way for physical therapy. So just to make sure we slow down a second while we go into the next batch of questions. Actually, um, can I jump yeah. in real quick? Yeah. I, I have a couple of um, follow-up questions to like the, that first half of uh, questions that you had. So Fantastic. I'm going to go ahead and uh, jump in real quick. Um, for the productivity, because PT burnout is such like a, a real thing for new grads and like the profession as a whole. And uh, when you was talking about the productivity standards and like seeing five patients per PT, I was wondering like, is is there a certain productivity new grads should look for? And um, is there is there a certain way you should ask the interviewer interviewer about productivity to prevent burnout? That's a good question. That, that discussion is challenging because it's loaded, obviously, because when you're going in for an interview, they're trying to figure out, can you handle a high load? Because whatever you can handle, they get the payout for it. Um, the way I've heard it structured that question, which I think is an effective way of being like politically correct, but also still getting your point across and asking, what are the expectations for a new grad in terms of volume compared to a more seasoned clinician? And at what point does that transition happen? So as a new grad, if you were never in the setting that you're currently in, you might be able to argue and say like, I'm devoted to the setting, this I know this is what I wanna do because I don't have as much experience as I would like, 
don't compare yourself to other people, but as I would like, <laughs> um, because you want to keep selling yourself, right? Um, because I don't have as much experience as I'd like, I would love the opportunity to be able to optimize my schedule and be able to um, optimize the session with patients so that way I can continue to improve and increase my load. Uh, I really like that. Because um, I think it's like a, it's very challenging to walk that tightrope when you're interviewing and you're trying to find out if the company is a good fit for you, but you're also trying to protect your, your future as a clinician. So thank you for that. Um, my second question is about the shadowing, because I think that's, that's such a great idea that not a lot of people um, take advantage of because we have, we graduated with so much debt and we're just trying to make money real fast so we can pay it off. So we're going for the uh, clinic that pays the highest, but maybe that's not the right clinic for us. So how would you go about like that initial conversation about getting uh, shadowing hours, even though you don't have the job or they don't know if they want you as a clinician? So I think it actually looks good to the company that you're applying to because it makes it look like you're making an informed decision that you're not just jumping in and taking the first thing first offer that you get um, so i don't think it's necessarily that challenging to ask for a shadow that being said if somebody is unwilling to allow you to shadow that would be an enormous red flag for me like you don't want me to come see and i'm supposed to commit to working here presumably indefinitely without necessarily seeing the inner workings. Um, the way I've worded it in the past when I make that request is, you know, um, I'm really interested. I love what I've heard so far and meeting with you. If you're okay with it, I would love to see, you know, the workings of the clinic and see it in its full swing um, and say something nice of like, you know, I see that the patients are really happy and I'd love to see it in full force. So what are the peak hours? Can I come back? Gotcha. Thank you so much. And uh, if you want to share the other half of questions that you have, you may go ahead. Cool. So the, so the first pile of questions was more of the um, like standard questions. I'm calling these ones like the next generation questions because I think this is where people really get thrown off. And I think it might be, I mean, in a good way. I think it's good to tip your interviewer a little bit because then you get to see who they are as a, as a person. Um, so is there a protocol for new grads and matching them to mentors or senior staff, which we kind of already talked about, um, and ask them, like, who's matched with who and how did you make that pairing? Um, continuing education, culture, and reimbursement structure, right? So we talked about the reimbursement structure a little bit. Um, culture is important in this, uh, in this instance because... All right, so I'll be honest with you. My first clinic out of school, I really love learning. But when I would go to my coworkers and say like, hey, I read this thing or I heard this thing, you know, what do you think? They're like, I don't know. And they'd walk away. Completely blew my mind. I'm like, what do you mean? You don't know. I mean, you don't know, fine, but you also don't care is what you're also telling me. Like, that's not a culture that I personally thrive in because I love the idea of continuing to learn. And I'm terrified of not learning because I feel like that hurts people, that can risk hurting people. Um, I will say as a complete flip side to that, my second company, there was one day I was Googling something and it was, I was trying to, I was looking through PubMed, look up your resources properly, I was looking through PubMed. Um, it was a patient that had double mastectomy, long story short, and had um, breast implants underneath the pec muscle, not on top of the pec muscle. So I was trying to figure out like, does this impact 
your exercise of what you're allowed to do long term? Like, how do you rehab that essentially because you had pain that was moving all over the place? Anyway, in the find in looking for that information, I came across a case study where the person had um, osteosarcoma in the sternum, and they took it out and they replaced it with a ceramic piece. And I was so shocked by this because we hadn't talked about like specific case studies like this um, that I spun around. And I looked at my coworker and I was like, Garrett, <laughs> he spun around. He's like, what? <laughs> Have you heard of this thing? And we legit had a 10 to 15 minute conversation about like, oh, what does the breathing mechanics have? Like, and the, do you rehab it like you would uh, sternal precautions after open heart surgery? And, you know, where do they reattach the cartilage and the ribs and, and all this stuff anyway. So that's the type of environment that me personally, I know for myself, I would thrive in because it's exciting to be able to stumble across these things, which I had never really thought about sternums being replaced by ceramic. I mean, <laughs> um, so trying to figure out, and that's the type of thing that you'll get on the, it's hard to ask, but you'll get through the shadowing. So if you're shadowing and you're just kind of hanging out, then you can ask people of like, hey, you know, just kind of a loaded question. Maybe you want to ask your interviewer more than the people, but you know, what's, what's the coolest thing you've learned lately? This is maybe an easier way to ask it. So that way it gets you, gets you thinking about, or gets them in the mindset of like, what have you learned lately? Whether it's structured through continuing ed courses or something you just read by yourself, what's the coolest thing you've learned? Um, so I think continuing education culture is important because I've seen I've seen friends that in the PT world that have been in their clinic for a long period of time that have not had this, and they're at a very different point in their career professionally than somebody that worked for like inpatient, uh, outpatient hospital base seems to have like the best structure from what I've seen so far in this realm because you're doing constantly in services and everybody's presenting and you're sharing and learning from each other. Um, so anyway, so trying to get that structure of continuing ed. What types of extracurricular activities your employees partake in? So this gets you thinking like, okay, can I fit in with these people? Like my second job, everybody liked to rock climb, which I had no idea they liked to rock climb, but on my resume, hey, move to Chicago. Um, <laughs> so my, I didn't know that they liked to rock climb, but in my, on my resume at the end, it says interests and hobbies. I put rock climbing down. So when they interviewed me, they're like, oh, you like to rock climb days? All pretty much everybody does. Um, yeah, so at least just see if you can find something that's in common with everybody. Um, we already talked about the ramp up period. Oh, are lunches paid? Which is totally loaded question. Don't ask this upfront on your first day because it's gonna look like you're only looking for money. <laughs> um, yes. Yes. And do you have to punch in or out? Because I've heard some of my friends have to do that in some jobs. Oh, I'm um, sorry. Please, I, I never worked at a job where lunch was paid. I didn't know that was a thing. So I don't know if jobs do the whole lunch pay, but I know some will do. Actually, that's not true. There's um, lunch paid, but they expect that half the lunch is like a lunch. And then the other half is like paid documentation if that makes sense. So they'll pay you the, which is nice. And that's also another question to ask of like, okay, what is the productivity metrics? But then is it salaried versus hourly? And do you cover any of the documentation time? Um, we talked about it a little bit already. How often do PTs and PTAs see a given patient? Um, are there any aids and what are the responsibilities? Because that clinic that I saw that was seeing five patients per PT at the exact same time, 
the, there were two aides per PT and they were zipping around showing people exercises and putting uh, ice on people and taking ice off. And personally, I would have no idea what's going on with each patient. I'd be like, I guess they responded well. I don't know. Credentialing. Oh, this is a loaded one though. Can we come back to it? I guess at some point. Um, credentialing yeah. is really big. Yeah. Really yeah. Big okay. Um, so who handles it initially and who upkeeps it essentially? Um, but we should definitely come back to that if you, if we have time for it, if you're up for it. How long have your employees been there? So I got really cleverly sidestepped on this question at an interview where I asked the question, how long have your employees been with you? And they were like, oh, we're a young company. So, you know, I was like, and then I found out that they were literally only employed new grads. And that's how they sidestepped the question where they were like, oh, we're a young company. So I don't have to say that my clinicians only stay like six months at a time because we burn them out and then we move on. Um, so making sure you do your research, like how old is the company for real and then all that stuff. Um, asking somebody, what is your favorite thing about your company is really telling because how they choose to respond to that tells you exactly what the working environment is going to be like. And can you describe a patient you've had recently for the reason that if somebody doesn't like what they're doing, they're not happy with the company, they might say really nasty things about their patients, which obviously we don't encourage, but that'll also give you information of like, huh, do I want to be working with this person if they actually don't care about their people? Yeah, I'll leave it there. <laughs> Volley it back to you. See, these are all questions that really tells the tale of the work culture. and. I feel like as new grads, you know, we don't really look for that. We just look at the salary. So I'm glad that you shared all those questions because you could get paid like the highest as a new grad. But is if you're not looking forward to going to work every day, you're you're going to have a bad time, and that's just going to accelerate your burnout. So thank you. Speaking of getting paid highly, can I jump in there a sec? So when we thought we were probably leaving Boston, but we didn't quite know if we were staying. And I was interviewing for my second job. I got offered stupid amount of money at, at one of the companies. I mean, like, I got offered a car's worth more than all the other places. And knowing that it was probably short term, I was super tempted. I was like, I could probably, but I had burnt out at my first one. I'm still like recovering from that a year and a half later, which is craziness that it takes this long. Um, I honestly don't know how much longer it's going to be, but it's, it's a long time. So burnout is definitely very real. Um, but I did consider it though, because I was like, it's a car's worth and we might be moving. It might be nice to have a few extra dollars. I shadowed at that place and they, I was going to be the only PT out of three locations and it was just PTAs at the rest. So I was gonna have to literally get, I know I'm pretty shaking their head, I was literally gonna have to get in my car and zip around Boston between the three locations doing evals, reevals, and discharges. And that was gonna be the day every day. And I was like, you know what? The car's not worth it. It's just not. Now for me, you have to give me like three car, one for each location, cause that, that sounds crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, quite the, ridiculous offer i guess and that's also safety involved like what if something happens on a car ride to one clinic i didn't even consider that sorry my face speaks when i don't when i don't want it to um 
Absolutely right. And that also a question that I have not added to my list, but I'm going to add it now because of what you just said, who carries the liability insurance? And if you're, if you're switching jobs, what happens in between? So if you've switched jobs, will your current job liability insurance cover your first jobs? So if, if a patient comes back six months later and says like, oh, something happened, liability insurance, I think you're absolutely on the money with that. That's a really good point, actually. Um, I guess kind of you hit on so many questions, but uh, one we have is, you know, what are common mistakes you see or hear about when it comes to, you know, new grads in the interview process? Probably, that's a good question. I say the thing that scares me the most that's kind of like cringeworthy is when people come straight in with the like, when do I start before the, before the other person has shown interest. Um, so it's, you're interviewing them just as much as they're interviewing you. Um, but I think assumptions, I mean, everybody knows what they say about assumptions. Um, <laughs> yeah, just being careful that you don't assume before there is an offer on the table. I mean, showing interest is one thing, but assuming that you're the only one that they've interviewed. And while it's super important, I do caution against asking about salary the first day that you meet somebody. I like string them along, get them to know you, get them to like you, get them to like let their guard down around you because you're friendly and you're nice and you really want this job. And then at some point as it comes out, you'll be like, oh, but I got offers at, at different places that were more than that is a room for negotiation. No, I, I agree. Um... Sometimes you come in, you know, too confident for things and, you know, the rug is pulled from under you and that's never a good feeling. So um, I appreciate that. Uh, I think I'll shoot the next one to Meng. I hope people are paying attention because you just drop in gem after gem after gem. Um, kind of excited for when we're new grads and we get to go through this process. But um, I have two questions for you. Um, you kind of been talking about like who you are now as a as a PT as a person, um, have you like always been like this? Like, what was new grad CJ like? Did you have this kind of confidence then, or has it kind of just been built up over time over the lessons that you learned and the experiences that you had? So I will say for the listeners that I had no idea what these questions were beforehand, <laughs> which is amazing. I think actually I'm happy that I didn't because then it is more candid. Um, so I was. I think I naturally tend towards the confidence and the, you know, I stand up for people when it's for us, other people. So I, I'm Greek. I didn't say that part of my introduction and I call it my Greek fire. And for the most part, I keep the jar kind of under wraps. Sometimes the jar needs to burp. So you let out a little pressure and then it goes on. Um, I will say that the jar, the lid goes way all the way off and all the fire comes out when there is, when there's injustice and somebody is doing something to somebody else, it's not right. Um, and it's a lot easier for me to do that with other people or was a lot easier to do that with other people. So for example, I'm very, I love all people and I'm very, I take care of everybody, but I could get out of my car if people don't move for an ambulance truck. <laughs> like that's something that really gets me. If somebody doesn't move for an ambulance truck, I'm like, the last time it happened, I was like, CJ, I was like ripping this dude. I'm like, stay in your car, stay in your car. It just makes me so angry. I'm like, somebody's in there, they need help, and you're you're in the way. They can't get to hospital. Um, so when it comes to other people, I'd say I'm faster on the like jump in and help thing. Um, I had to learn to do that for myself. So I think that was a skill that I needed to learn how to pull that back 
and be like, okay, I need some of that love as well. Um, and my first job out of school did that, to be honest with you. I burned out at my first job. Um, it's not a joke. I honestly was at home Googling like depression because I was like, I don't feel depressed, but I can't move. So clearly something's happening. Um, I was getting up at 3 a.m. to do my documentation before going to work. I would leave the house around 6. I wouldn't get home. I was working 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. with no breaks. Like 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. with no breaks. I'm not talking, like I lost 20 pounds in 10 months because of it. Um, and I asked my coworkers, I was like, when do you guys eat? And they're like, well, when my patients cancel, I'm like, my mind keeps showing up. So like, what do, what do I do? When do I eat? Um, and I think the first experience out of school really helped. Um, if I hope this helps you get there faster before you go through that type of experience um, for all the listeners out there and for the three of you here as well. I appreciate that. Um, I feel like that's very important. But I also feel like people might think that I have to get from zero to 100 in like an hour. Like it, it's a step-by-step a -step process. And um, I think we just have to remember that you know, hopefully we don't have to go through experiences like that, where it's that bad, but just over time, you'll gain that confidence and it'll come with just more practice and practice. And just as you get to know yourself better, you'll, you'll be more confident in your values and what you stand for. So I'm all for that. I love that. I don't think you can like shortcut it to, to get there. And the second question kind of, kind of goes with this. Um, but why do you think that new grads kind of struggle to understand that the value that they can bring to their patients to their company to themselves that's another loaded question i'm sorry but uh, <laughs> hitting you with a lot of them today i love it like actually like keep them coming um why do new grads have trouble with their value or the value that they can bring i mean it's probably i guess i guess for me i shouldn't generalize to everybody but I can see how if we're, we've been, we've been beat for four years trying to like master your clinical decision-making skills and try and put it all together. And then you, you know, yeah, you're working on your soft skills alongside your clinical decision-making skills. Once you get out into the real world, there's so much that's going on. There's so much that's not second nature yet that I think it is very difficult to say, yeah, I'm valuable. Yeah, I'm good at connecting with the super difficult patient like i my first job out of why everybody everybody knows but my first job out of school in particular when they had somebody come in that was super challenging i'm like i want them <laughs> because of the soft skills of being able to like soften up a really challenging character that's a skill that's something that is not taught in pt school necessarily i mean it's tried to they foster it and then they try and build it but if you have that then that's a skill that you bring, right? So even if your clinical decision-making is not perfect yet, which I don't know if it can ever get to perfect because we're always working on these things and research is always changing our field anyway. Um, I think new grads maybe struggle with not knowing what, the val what their value is because there's too many pieces going on. But you have value though in those other things and your clinical decision-making is just gonna catch up. Step by step, piece by piece, it'll, it'll, it'll come along. Uh, no, I really love that. Um, Damien, I'm gonna throw that throw this next one to you. Yeah, CJ, I, I love what you said because like, I, and I think this has to do with like education as a whole. But I feel like 
you know, uh, we, we don't live in a gray area too often. You know, we always want the right answer and the, the right hypothesis and the right diagnosis. So um, I think, you know, relying on your soft skills and uh, being more confident in yourself as a new grad is, is definitely a, a value. Um, what I wanted to know was what would happen if new grads took a stand for themselves and they didn't take those bad offers that are so common, you know, like, <laughs> like 50 K a year. And let's say New York city, because there's like 15 schools turning out, you know, a cohort of DPT students a year. I know it's COVID, but I could hug you. <laughs> that is the advocacy that we're talking about. That's like absolutely it. Right. So it's, it's nipping away at some of the systemic issues within our profession little by little piece by piece until greater change can eventually happen um, so it's advocating on the patient level community level state level federal level it's advocating to new grads about not taking those jobs where they will work you into the ground burn you out until you leave the field I knew somebody, and I don't know if you met them or not, um, I knew somebody that dropped out of the PT world and sold wine and cheese for a year and a half. And then at some point it was like, I don't know how they ended up coming back, but they ended up turning around and coming back. But they burned out and left and had to do that for a year and a half. Um, if new grads, if we apply enough pressure on the system through new grads saying, you know what, I don't think so. And it's hard because your, your um, loans are coming up due. But you know what? If you don't have a job, your loans are going to wait. Because income-based repayment plans. <laughs> I mean, for real, though. Um, so I think in the long run, if we chip away at it, I think that will be helpful for our profession. Because you don't have to take the lowest paying job. Um, and being on the flip side of it now, where I am filling out my own reimbursement from insurance, they can, they can fix it. They're okay. They're okay. And they're comfortable enough. It's all about the bottom line, right? But what I was curious about is that person who sold wine and cheese, they, they did uh, the whole three years of PT school and, you know, they just decided to do that after. No, they were a PT for some amount of years. Like they went through PT school, they graduated PT school, they worked as a PT, they burned out and left because they didn't have a choice. When you burn out, it's not something that's like, you can reason with somebody and say like, oh, it's okay, you can get back to it. No, you're like, you're done. You're cooked physically, mentally, like you're, you're fried. Um, so that's what they ended up doing. So don't do that to the new grads, it's enough. Yeah, that's, that's such a scary thing. Um, I hope that the new grad uh, burnout, you know, starts to decline, but you know, only time to tell. So AJ, back to you, buddy. Thanks, man. Um... <laughs> There's so much good information in this. Uh, I'm sorry to put this extra loaded question on you again. And it also sucks because looking at the list, I don't know how it ended up on mine. If I could rewrite it, I would, but it's too late. So here we go. Um, <laughs> given that physical therapists are being paid less, and it seems like a trend that hasn't changed or isn't changing in the near future, is there a better chance of negotiating salaries at places that physical therapists, um, you know, are more abundant like in terms of location or should we look for places that you know there aren't as many to get paid more that's interesting and i think that might be part of the complication in the bigger cities 
we're, you know, in Boston, we have so many PT schools and we're graduating like hundreds of PTs every year. Um, it probably is a lot more challenging. There is also, I forget what it's, what it's called, but there's kickback if you go out to more rural areas, not that you have to go live on a farm or anything, but I think you can get a huge chunk of money. Um, sorry for <laughs> sorry to be so straightforward like that. Um, which I love farms, don't get me wrong. I, I would have chickens if I was allowed. Um, but <laughs> I, don't, I don't think you have to go all the way out that way. To go to an area where they're not as abundant can be helpful in negotiating your salary. But if you can boost yourself up and show evidence of like, no, I'm not like all your other candidates, then even if there's a lot of people around you, then you can still stand out. I guess my kind of follow up to that would kind of be like, does that mean it's more encouraged to boost that resume with different types of certifications and other classes that you're, you know, very apt in and things like that? Or should you more so like come out of school and get experience first before you know, going to another job and saying like, I am this built person at this time. So I know at the beginning, we said that certs are not necessarily the end all be all for salary negotiation. Um, but on the flip side of that, if you have those, then you're setting yourself apart from the other new grads, right? Because the, although new grads are cheaper in the eyes of a company, which I hate saying that out loud, wish that wasn't the case. Um, they were you grads require more mentorship because of having to bolster up the confidence and build a clinical decision making skills there's a lot more investment that goes from the company on the company side so if you have the certifications and you can show in your resume like oh i don't leave places very quickly i think those two things put together like if i was interviewing people and i saw like okay this person stays at each of their jobs for like four or five years and they also have a bunch of these certifications and they seem nice. Kala liked them. That's my puppy. <laughs> then I'd be more inclined to be like, yeah, okay. Yeah. And playing up your resume, depending on the company, right? Cause you, we have Google and social media, you know, exactly what each of these companies are looking for. You know, who else is hired there, what their special interests are, read through all of the bios of the other people that work there, not just for this part of it, but also to make sure that you fit in and that you like hanging out with these people. Yeah, I appreciate the answer. It also kind of scares me because the fact that people can look up things on the internet and I hope it's all good because I have no idea what's here nowadays. But um, I appreciate that answer. I'll shoot over to Meg now. Plus, if you have the certs and you have some of those other skills that we were talking about earlier, like website building, um, uh, marketing, all that kind of stuff, you can also let, use that to leverage if you're in a position as well. So I just thought I'd put that in there. Um, the ne what I was curious about, um, if salary doesn't seem like it can be possibly negotiated, is it better for new grads to have multiple means of income, such as working at different locations? So before you sign on any paperwork, read through the manuals very carefully, um, because there are moonlighting clauses, which essentially restricts you from working other things that might sap your energy is how they word it because they want you fully productive and awake and available. Not that your side hustle is going to hopefully burn you out like that. Um, but just be careful that you're, whether or not you're allowed to. So a lot of moonlight moonlighting clauses will not allow you to work at an, a competing physical therapy setting. Um, sometimes if you work outpatient ortho and you ask them like, Hey, are you okay with me? Occasionally a couple days, a couple weekends a month, 
doing like per diem stuff at a hospital. Some places might be okay with that, but just make sure that you get it in writing up front that you're like, okay, this is like totally full disclosure what I'm looking to do. Um, so if it's related to or unrelated to PT, both can be problematic. Um, if we can negotiate better, then hopefully people don't have to do side hustles, but if they want to do side hustles, they will do them. Um, I'm a big proponent of the like, don't burn yourself out, do what you love. And I hope that these salary negotiations can help us get there. Absolutely. Um, well, CJ, that was all that we had prepared. Um, I know you kind of, I don't know how much time you have, but I know you want to talk about credentials if we had time. Um, so I just want to give that opportunity to you if you wanted to have it. Awesome. Thank you for circling back on that. Um, so there's a website called CAQH. Um, I forget what it stands for, but it's the credentialing. So in the outpatient ortho world, and I don't know if they also use this in other settings, it's essentially, and you can sign up before you even graduate. Um, it's a website where they put in your um, social, your NPI, your license number, and every 120 days you need to renew that certification. I had no idea, every 120, right? So like, what is that, four months? Um, so I had no idea that that was actually a thing until I got to my second job because my first job put in all of this information into CAQH for me. And when I got to my second job, they were like, okay, so, you know, what's your login? Have you up, have you just renewed it? Like what's, what's going on with that? I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, so I had to call them. And when I called, called CAQH and asked them, you know, because I couldn't get in with my passwords, they asked me my security questions. I gave them all the answers and they were like, uh, so you really didn't make this account, did you? And I was like, that's what I've been telling you. <laughs> I've been telling you, I don't know anything about this. I don't know what it's for. I don't know what it does, but it's super important for upkeeping credentialing. So credentialing essentially means that the way, and I'm gonna totally mess this up, but it's insurance based and Medicare looks at it. So they wanna make sure that all of your paperwork is in line and in order for the company that you're working for to get money for insurance. If you haven't gotten credentialed yet, which is another topic I just realized that we should talk about, is finding out who's signing your notes for you and whether or not they're gonna be changing anything that has your name on it before they sign it. Some places will allow you to work before you're credentialed, which usually takes a couple of months. So I would make sure that you get on that sooner rather than later. Um, Again, if you Google C-A-Q-H, um, you can find it. Um, but some other places won't let you start working until you're credentialed. So I don't know which one I prefer, but just make sure that whoever's signing your notes is doing it ethically, legally, all that stuff. Thank you for sharing that, because that's something none of us was thinking about. So thank you for that. I thought of of two amazing questions just like off the top of my head and i just wanted to ask you real quick before we ended um because you're you're a founder and a owner of a cash-based clinic and you know i'm i'm a big proponent of a cash base so i wanted to know would you recommend new grads to work in a cash-based clinic as a first gig and as a owner what what would you look for in hiring a pt all right so these are good questions. <laughs> um, before the pandemic, so I re like really good timing, opened Valona in January and then closed Valona at the end of February um, before everything else shut down. Yeah, um, my husband's a microbiologist. So when the first whispers of what was going on in the world, I was like, what? 
what's happening? And he goes, oh, you're probably fine for a week or two. And I'm like, we're done here. So I, I closed up shop um, for a handful of months. So I was intending to be solely cash-based. And then through networking and meeting some people in the, um, I met somebody who's a healthcare consultant. So he essentially helps people to pick their healthcare plans. Um, in talking with him, I was like, oh, well, maybe it's not that scary. And if I only get credentialed with one insurance company, then maybe it's okay. So I'm only, so Valona's are currently only credentialed with Blue Cross Blue Shield. But taking patients out of network is also a possibility. So out of network, that is something that people are really scared of. Um, but it can be really helpful for both the company and the patient. Um, there's negotiations that can be had out of network between the provider and the patient in terms of reimbursement. Whereas when you're when you are credentialed and you're contracted, like so with Blue Cross Blue Shield, when people come in, I absolutely have to do what Blue Cross says I, they want me to do. But without a network, there's more of a discussion of like, okay, what is your situation? I want to help you. I think you're in the right place. What can we do between the two? Um, so working only for cash-based, I don't know if I have any upfront recommendations on that. I have to think about that more. Um, working for... Yeah, it depends on the, your payment model too. So I recently did some part-time work for a place that does 50% uh, of whatever they bring in from insurance goes to the PT. What was supposed to be like that? That's a whole other discussion. It didn't happen that way. Um, so that's something for another time. Um, so that can be helpful depending on what they end up bringing back if it's like percentage-based. If you work in a cash pay clinic, in a cash pay clinic, they might also be more protective of their clients. I don't know if they're more um, like paranoia is higher risk. Um, I don't know why there's this scarcity mindset in PT where people think that there's only a set number of patients out there. People hurt themselves all the time. So it's totally okay. I mean, it's not like there's not like we're running out of people to treat and take care of. I just don't understand. Um, so whether you go cash-based or insurance-based, um, just make sure that you're taken care of in terms of your finances and you're comfortable with it, which is a vague answer. I'm going to have to think about that for another time if we end up doing this again. No problem. And the, the last question, what would you look for um, when hiring a PT as a cash-based owner? Thank you. It felt like something was missing. Um, so what I would look for in a PT is somebody that's willing to learn, not just like willing to learn, but like lives to learn. Like if I brought up a topic like that sturdum ceramic piece thing, I would want to see the fire behind the eyes of like, what, what did you learn? What did you read? And then what happened? Um, I think that would be my, even if it's a new grad, that wouldn't even matter to me. If they had the fire to learn and they wanted it, I would hire them like on the spot, which maybe I shouldn't be saying on a podcast, but <laughs> I'm not in a position to hire just yet. <laughs> maybe free next, maybe next year. What happened? I said free advertisement. <laughs> oh my goodness. Please be careful. Um, maybe next year. I'll joking aside. Um, but yeah, I think that would be the biggest thing. So as long as somebody has something going on outside of PT, like they have hobbies, that they enjoy like the rock climbing and the whatever to make sure that they're a real person. They don't just go home and I don't know, 
um, because a health, healthy like work-life balance, although you obviously want your employees to work for you. AJ, are you okay? <laughs> um, I think it was sneezing. Were you sneezing? Okay, anyway, um, I think healthy work-life balance <laughs> is important. What is happening? <laughs> I wasn't sneezing. I was, I'm sorry. I was laughing thinking of the way you said someone just goes home after work and does nothing. I was just like, well, no, because you, if you think about people. it, I mean, hey, it's possible. I mean, because you, you need to be able to connect with your employees, um, show that you're a real person, but also the risk of burning out if somebody doesn't have an outlet, doesn't have something that makes them happy. Even if it's they go home and bake bread, I'm like, great, you have something you enjoy doing that's outside of PT, just for decreasing the risk of burnout. Because um, obviously, having gone through it myself, I'm not going to put somebody in that position. But I think if somebody has hobbies and they like doing something else outside PT, I think that could be helpful. Hey, man, everybody needs an outlet. And sometimes you could use those outlets to connect to your employers or your um, patients. So I totally, I totally get that. Um, well, that's all the questions we have. Um, fellas, do you have anything for CJ? Just want to say thank you. Oh, sorry, AJ. <laughs> no, it's, it's funny we said the same thing at the same time. So. <laughs> <laughs> We're hanging out too much. Uh, but but um, CJ, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on. Um, I learned a lot. I think I could speak for the other two, saying they learned a lot too. And, you know, it's going to be exciting to be able to, like, learn about this and then also be able to apply it and hopefully be part of the the change moving forward so we really appreciate you and the people that you are going to inspire with this episode and aj i'll throw that to you yeah i could have said it better i appreciate you coming on um it was nice meeting you of course across zoom though um i am definitely going to be recalling and looking back on this episode in the near future and probably a year from now um and like Mang said hopefully we can be a catalyst for change or something um you know it only takes one small seed so hopefully this is going to help a lot of people but uh couldn't thank you enough i i don't know it's going to be hard man i don't know how you're going to only pick one thing to share but uh yes yeah, this this has been great so i really appreciate it yeah thank you for having me this has been fun and if you're ever in chicago please let me know yeah i just want to echo what the fella said thank you so much um this this is definitely going to be the guide when you know, we're doing our internships and we're interviewing and stuff. So uh, definitely uh, going to reach out to you if I am in Chicago. Uh, maybe we could go rock climbing. We'll see. But um, CJ, for the people who uh, don't know your handle or anything, where can they reach you if they want to ask you further questions about interviews and stuff? I'm always thrown by this question. I don't know when that's going to stop. Um, so my personal professional one is dr cj mimi so dr cj mimi um through all of them like instagram facebook whatever um otherwise you can use volona health if that's easier to remember also on the same platforms thank you well ladies and gentlemen there you have it this has been another amazing episode of the dpt expedition new episodes drop on mondays at, at 12 p.m eastern and uh if you have any topics you'd like for us to cover uh, please send us a DM uh, and we'll be able to add that to our list. So uh, until next time, peace. Thank you for listening and joining us. Please check us out on Instagram at the DPT Expedition and your favorite podcast streaming platform. Keep tuning in and we will see you next time.